Good morning, church family. I am walking right now outside of McKinney, Texas in Midas Hill Vineyard. This vineyard is a place where we can come and see what we're going to walk through today in Romans chapter 11. Paul is going to talk at length in one of his illustrations about being grafted in. And so what I want you to do with me is to see how cool what's happening around us actually is. This right here is a vine that is native to McKinney, Texas. It's a local vine growing in local soil. The vines that grow local in our area don't produce great fruit. And so what they do is they will take local vines and local soil, about two foot of the vine, and they will send the vine in the soil to California. And in California, there are three different types of branches that bear great fruit that are grafted in to our local vine. They just cut a V into the vine and they connect a V from the branch into that vine and they wrap it in wax paper and they send it back to Texas. And then what happens? We get to plant a vine that grows great in our soil that's grafted into branches that bear great fruit. Why does Paul want to talk about this? Do you ever read the Old Testament and think, what does this have to do with me? Do you ever feel separated from the promises of God that he gives his people in the Old Testament? Do you, even if you've never read the Old Testament, feel separated from God? If, if that's you today, you need to hear what Paul is going to say as he continues this discussion on God's sovereignty and the free will of man when it comes to the salvation of his people. If you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 11. Let's see what God says. Ten years ago, my wife and I went in a walk at night through the old city of Jerusalem. You know, there's a parable about the Good Samaritan that the guy gets hijacked by robbers, you know, walking. That was not in old city Jerusalem. But I remember going out in old city Jerusalem at that point and thinking, what? That nobody is out on the streets. Our tour guide had said, I want to go show you something cool. So we thought, all right. As we were walking through the streets, not only were all the stores closed, but the windows were also closed. Like, I mean, it was like, I don't know if y'all walked through streets like in, in Europe even. Maybe you haven't been to Israel where it like everything gets closed down at night. I mean, it was closed down. We had been in the streets earlier that day and it was just bustling, but it, it was not at night. So it already had kind of this unique feel to it. He takes us through this old city, down different roads, and turned different corners. And as we rounded one corner, there was a big wall that was lit up. And I recognized what we were looking at when I saw it. We were at the western wall of the Temple Mount. The western wall is also called by many the Wailing Wall because of what happens at that wall. 
He led us up to the wall, and as he led us up to the wall, I recognized there's a lot of people that were lined up against the wall. I didn't really know what they were doing until I got close, and then I realized they were praying. My, my first response was, that's cool, they're praying, like that's, that's really cool. But we stayed there for a while. And as we stayed there and I listened, watched some of them weep and cry, some of them write notes down on sheets of paper. If you've ever been to the, how many of y'all been to the Western Wall, Wailing Wall? Yeah, some of y'all have seen this. They, they have papers just like wedged into every crack of prayers. That wall dates back to, they think, King Solomon when he built the temple. But it's not actually the wall of the temple, like it's the wall to the base of the temple because the temple's been destroyed. The, the temple has been replaced by the Dome of the Rock. It's a mosque. And so Jews will come to this wailing wall and they'll pray. As I watched, I moved from, that's cool, they're praying, to grieving that they didn't know Jesus. I remember watching them and thinking, God, these are your people. Like these are, they, they've, they've got the Old Testament that I've got that talks about the Messiah coming and it's like there's these blinders on their eyes. So somehow they, they haven't seen that Jesus is the Savior. I respect their faith, but I was frustrated with God. Is there someone in your life that you know and love who doesn't know Jesus? And maybe for you, you, you respect them. You, you've grown to know and love them. Maybe you've got kind of an up-close picture of their life, but you're frustrated. You're, you, you see that they don't see that Jesus is the Savior. And you get frustrated with God. Has that, have, have you ever, Lord, why don't you do something? Paul, as he's walking through Romans, if you're new to the Bible, we're so glad you're here. It's like pretty far through. That's, that's where it is in mine. You've got to go towards the back. As he's walking through Romans, he's told us the story of salvation. And then he, he got to this high point in chapter 8 of saying there's no separation for those who are in Christ and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ but but what about those who aren't and in chapter 9 10 and 11 where we are today he talks about the people in Israel who don't know Jesus and I think it overlaps the people in your life that you know and you love and you care about who don't know Jesus I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read out of the middle of the chapter this illustration that will be his focus of the vine and the branches, them being grafted in. The vine will actually be an olive tree in this text, 
but the branches that were foreign to this tree being grafted in. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Let's pray. God, I ask in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'd help us see, God, what are you doing in the world right now? Why are you doing this right now? Why, why are there people who are distant from God that we know and love? And then how we can respond rightfully so when we're empowered by the Spirit. Help us, God. God, I pray that you would help me. Holy Spirit, we know you're here, you're present. Jesus said you were given to us to be our guide, our counselor in the truth. I pray that you would be my, with my mouth as I speak and our ears as we hear and that you would help us understand what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. If you're taking notes... Here's the outline, I believe, that Paul's going to walk us through, and it's intensely practical, I believe, to the news even from this past week, what's happening in our culture. He's going to talk about this cutting off and this grafting in, first thing, what has God done? Second thing, why has God done it? And third, how should we respond First, what has God done? Second, why has God done it? Third, how should we respond? So here's, here's the first. What has God done? We're not going to spend a lot of time in the first ten verses because it's basically a review. So if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, plus for you. This is a review of what Paul has already argued. He's going to tell us what God has done And I'll just tell you before I tell you because he's already told you. So I'm going to let you know what he's already said. He's going to say there's a remnant of people who are saved, even as Jews. And that's true in your friend group. There's there's some who are saved. And he'll use the word that were chosen or elect to be saved by grace, not works. And then he'll say, that's the remnant. He's going to say, the rest, he'll actually use those words, the rest have been hardened. And he'll actually say, he'll quote scripture saying it's in response to the hardening that's happened in their own heart. God hardens them, but they were hard first. It was this retribution, he says. So read with me now, starting in verse 1, what has God done? I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. Absolutely not. 
Uh, that's that strong word that we've said that Paul uses on occasion in, in, in Romans to correct. Did God reject his people? This is H-E double hockey sticks, no. It's borderline cuss word. By no means. For I myself am, now what he's going to do to talk about the remnant, he's going to point to himself, he's a Jew and he's saved. He's going to then point to the Old Testament and say Isaiah was right with God, but he thought he was the only one. But Isaiah then had these other 7,000 men that God pointed him to who were also part of the remnant who were saved. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. And Elijah thought he was the only one. And God, why are you not saving more? Verse 3, look what he says. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be, what's the word? Grace. He repeats this word over and over and over. Y'all know that we believe salvation is God saving sinners. It's not something we do to earn his favor. It's literally undeserved favor. It's been defined this way, one-way love. Has God rejected his people? No, he says there's a remnant that God has chosen by grace to save. Well, what about the rest? I'm glad you asked. Paul's going to talk about them next, verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, and here's a quote out of Psalm 69, what's happening in this passage is David is helping explain that God's people, their heart is being hardened, but it's in response to the heart that was already hard. God let them go where they were going. Uh, It's similar to what he argued in Romans chapter 1, that the wrath of God right now is currently being revealed in the world. How? How? Well, God has made known his glory ever since the creation of the world. God's invisible qualities, his eternal power has been clearly seen, being made known through what is created, so that we're without excuse. But we trade the glory of God for idols, and we worship and serve creatures instead of the creator. And so what does God do? He says in Romans chapter 1, God gave them up to that. Does God still have control? Yes, God is sovereign. God could say, no, I'm not going to let you go that way. But God lets us go that way. So he's part of the hardening of the heart of those that run away from God. David, here's the way David said it. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution. Again, punishments fitting the crime for them. Let, allowing, let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see 
and bend their backs forever. What has God done? God, by grace, has saved a remnant. And God, for the rest, has been part of their hardening by allowing them to go where they want to go. This is hard to read. Show you a picture of a olive tree before grafting. Y'all see that tree? Does that look good? <laughs> if, if I were walking by the neighborhood uh, houses and I saw a guy had just pruned his tree like that, I would think he hates his tree. Wouldn't you? This is what God is doing. He's left a remnant and the rest have been hardened. How can that possibly? Why? Why? Why, God? I'm glad you asked. Paul's going to tell us. He just showed us what God was doing. Why has God done it? Verse 11. Hey, before I go there, I, I, I recognize looking at, go back to the tree picture here for a second. A lot of you look at the election free will teaching that, that Paul's giving us. I wrestle with it, so if you, if you don't, maybe you're not reading close enough. <laughs> uh, Paul agonized. We are inviting you to ask questions right now as we walk through this season. We're trying to jump in and go deeper. One of the questions that was asked a few weeks ago, we held to this week because Paul's going to speak into it, and we're going to talk about it in our podcast. But if you want to ask questions, you can text in the word question to 96123, and we have all the answers. No, we don't, right? But we're seeking to dive a little deeper in the text, okay? And so if you want to ask questions, feel free to do that. We're actually going to record that talk right after the sermon today because my family and I are supposed to head to camp. Um, so text in, we already have some questions from previous weeks that apply specific to where we are. But if you ask questions, yeah. How can you not have a question when you look at a tree like that, right? And that's what Paul just painted for us. All right, verse 11, why? Why has God done it? So I ask, did they stumble in order that? You see the in order that? He's, he's about to give us the Why? Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Absolutely not. There's our hockey sticks. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, in grafting, you can't graft in another branch until you cut something off. And he's, he's going to say, why is God doing this? The first thing is the, that, that the world who were, were not Jews, and that's most of us here in the room, the, the world that was not Jews could, could be connected to the life source of the promises of God to the people in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus. That's the first reason, but it's not actually the, the, the highest reason. He says, so that salvation would come to the Gentiles. Now watch, it keeps going. So he wanted us to be saved so as to make Israel jealous. 
What? So God, you cut off all these people so that we would get saved and then they would get jealous of us? Help me understand. Paul will help us understand. Verse 12, now if the trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, them being cut off from the tree, we get blessed by that, by being connected as foreign branches into that tree, how much more, he says, will their full inclusion mean? I need to comment on something real quick here. The word here, full inclusion, prompts, and three other verses that are in this passage, prompts some theologians to say that Romans chapter 11 is the most difficult to interpret passage in all of the Bible. Why? He just said that Israel was cut off and will be in the future fully included. What does that mean? If you skip down to verse 15, he will talk about their future acceptance. What does that mean? Skip ahead to next week's passage in verse 26. He says, in this way, all Israel will be saved. What is he saying? There are a lot of different ways to interpret this. And this is one of the things we'll dive deeper with in the podcast this week. So I'm not going to go into all of the different ways to interpret it. Here's the way that most current conservative theologians fall, the way I fall. And by the way, the way our teacher next week also falls. And we're going to talk about implications from it next week a little bit. But we, I, believe the Bible teaches that in the future there's going to be a radical, that's a radical with extra syllables, I'm from East Texas, radical Mass salvation of God's people, the Jews. Now, uh, in writing at the time of Paul, they would talk about all of the Jewish people, and that didn't necessarily mean every individual. It meant Israel as a whole, like the majority. So the way that I see it is that, not that every person that's a Jew is going to become a Christian, but in the future... In the future, there's going to be radical salvation of the Jews. How's it going to happen? Well, Paul's telling us it's going to happen through God saving the Gentiles and the Jews looking at the Gentiles and being jealous of the faith that they have and realizing that what we have in our relationship with God is the right, the good. Keep going. Verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I'm, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Hey, we've been taught that jealousy is wrong. Jealousy is wrong. Coveting your neighbor's wife is in the Ten Commandments. When it is wanting something that does not belong to you, that you would be taking from someone else and they would lose it, or when you're wanting something that's not good for you. But when you're wanting something that's good for you, the other person doesn't lose in order for you to get, this is what he's talking about, right? He wants, and this is so important, that we're in a divided world right now. 
And he's, he's going to show us in a few verses what, what has to happen in our life if, we're, if people are going to look at us and actually be jealous of something we have. But he's going to say that through us following Jesus, living and loving like Jesus the right way, the world's going to see that, and at least a bunch of the Israelites, Paul wanted them to be jealous. Why? And thus, he says, save some of them. Verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, them being cut off means we got grafted in, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Here's our grafted illustration is getting there, the root and the branches. I'm going to go back to a picture of that tree. Why has God done that? Why? Why has God done that? Leaving remnant, removing others. Here's why, Paul says. He, he turns to the grafting illustration. Here's what grafting looks like. They cut off one branch, and you actually can stick two branches into the one branch. You, you can go to a tree. It's one of the things studying grafting this week that was fascinating for me, that olive trees over time, we're going to read about, some of them lose their energy on some level, and they stop producing fruit. And one of the ways you get them to produce fruit is you cut off the branch and you graft in other branches and somehow it like wakes the tree up and you can graft in other branches from foreign trees. In fact, not only can you, you can graft a orange tree's branch into an olive tree and it will start producing oranges. Isn't that cool? And then, and then you can pick up one of the olive branches you just cut off and you can connect it to the tree and it can be grafted in also. So what is Paul saying? Why, why, did God, why did God do this? Because God knows in his sovereign plan, he knows that through this, the non-Jewish world, us, if you're not a Jew, could say yes to Jesus and be grafted in. And then the world would see those who genuinely live and love like Jesus as disciples of Christ and say, I want what they've got. And they get grafted in also. That's pretty cool. Look, this is just a stump that was cut off. And someone says, I'm going I'm to go see if I could graft. And look what happens. A tree. This is what God's doing. Isn't that cool? Hey, point of application before we get to the big one here. Who in your life right now is distant from God? Who do you know and love that, I, that when I talked earlier about the illustration of watching the people at the Wailing Wall and said, who do you know? Maybe you have a wayward child, a grandchild. Maybe you have a brother. Maybe, may, I don't, who is it, a, a classmate, students, that's far from God? Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. It may be that that God's plan, the why even that they're far from God, is to grow your faith and that through your faith growing, they would be jealous of what you've got and be grafted in also. 
What has God done? Why has God done it? And now finally, how should we respond? How should we respond? Verse 17. But if the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, you weren't even like a cultivated olive tree, you were like this wild olive shoot, were grafted in. Again, to explain grafting, what it is, is taking something that's, you can take something that's native to the plant and stick it in, of course. Something foreign to the plant. You can pick up like an orange branch, a wild olive shoot, and you can connect it to that tree, and it will, not, not all trees will do this, this kind of tree will, and the kind of tree that God planned the Israelites to be can. Although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and you now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. What a blessing. The nourishing root, the God, Yahweh of the Old Testament, that you and I, the promises of God that were offered to the people of Israel, we get to share in that now. Verse 18 Do not be, what's the word? Arrogant. Paul moves from just telling us about what God is doing to telling us, not just telling us, commanding us to do something. And and I would say the command here is not to do something. The command here is not to do something. He says, don't be arrogant. Anyone struggle with arrogance? I know someone pretty well that does. I'm pointing at him. You have a pride problem? The world is not going to be jealous of arrogant, prideful Christians. I watched through my social media feed this last week the battle in response to the news. When we boast, or if we boast on either side, I know in the room here and online there are people that fall on either side of this. Arrogance is dividing our culture. Y'all watch that? How, how, how do we make the world see the joy? How? Do not be arrogant. Okay, that's easier said than done, Paul. I struggle with pride. Well, Paul's going to help us with how you cannot. He says, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember It is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Okay, so if you are arrogant, he says, and I am, maybe there's others here in the room that struggle with this, what do you need to do in order to not be arrogant? You need to remember it is not you who supports the root, but it's the root that supports you. Back to the illustration that Paul's giving here again. 
What would it look like for a plant that's just gone through this grafting process to bring on a branch that was foreign to the branch that was not the, 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 the tree brought in from, from somewhere, just it's, it had been cut off, it had no life source, brought over and connected to the tree and l- l- latched onto the tree to, to look down at those branches on the ground and say, hey, yeah, I'm better than y'all. I've done everything right in my life. I've never committed those sins. That you, no. The branches got nothing apart from the tree, right? Jesus said in his vine and branch illustration in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nada. I had uh, two great conversations after the first service. One of them uh, told me, he said, hey, your ego is not your amigo. I never heard it that way. Your ego is not your amigo. And if you've got an arrogance problem, you know how you get over your arrogance problem? You realize you've got nothing apart from Christ. You, when you replace Okay, I'll say it this way. On the screen, dependence disarms arrogance. When you realize that I am dependent on the root for life, there's no arrogance that can come out of your life until you get your eyes off of that. Dependence disarms Arrogance. He's going to keep making the point. Keep going with me. Verse 19. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. You might say, well, yeah, but they were cut off so that I could come in. I must be pretty good. I, I never, I've, I've never had premarital sex, so I'm better than everyone else in this conversation. Verse 20. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but, what's his word? Fear. If you think that you're any better based on what you've done, you need to see what Paul's about to say. He's about to get in the grill of people who have arrogance issues in the church. He says you need to fear something. Verse 21 For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. He just told us. Wait, if if God cut off his people and you're going to be arrogant about being on, he's still got pruning shears. What? Verse 22 Note that the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Uh, Unless you're arrogant, not being kind. You know how the world right now is going to run towards Christians? It's not us being arrogant online. It's us being kind Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Ooh. 
verse 23. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. He has this plan in the future. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? All right. What does Paul say? Don't be arrogant. How do we get over arrogance? Dependence. Dependence. Realizing that I've got nothing. I've just been grafted into the blessings of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Dependence disarms arrogance. Read that with me. Dependence disarms arrogance. One more time. Dependence. All right, I want to go back to the opening illustration here. I don't know who those people might represent to you, but people that you know or have seen up close, maybe you even respect them deeply. I'm watching their faith. I respected them, and I was grieving. God, why are they far from you? The next day we went to the other side of the Temple Mount. The other side of the Temple Mount, there's a, a mountain called the Mount of Olives. And as you go down the Mount of Olives, there's a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there are all these olive trees, many that they think may be 2,000 years old. Jesus may have prayed under one of those trees. You know why those trees are still there and still bearing fruit? Because a loving gardener has continued to cut off and to graft in. We have a loving father that loves the people around you more than you realize. You know what he's doing? He's by grace preserving a remnant. He's cutting off. Why why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Because he wants the world to be jealous of your faith. They won't be jealous of arrogance. Depend. Depend. And let him through you bear fruit that will blow you away for his glory. Pray with me. I want you to pray for that person that you know that's far from God. Ask God to humble you. Say, God, help me see again in a new, fresh way that I've got nothing unless I'm connected to you, the tree. Disarm my pride. And God, I pray for our church. God, we're excited for what you're doing in the world. And we want you to use us to lead people, not just to physical life, but to spiritual life in Christ. And we know that that can't happen if we function in pride. Apart from you, God, we can do nothing. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.